0: The What Matters podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy is sponsored by Siemens Smart Infrastructure. Siemens Smart Infrastructure is shaping the market for intelligent and adaptive infrastructure by connecting energy systems, buildings and industries. Combining the real and the digital world, it enhances the way people live and work and significantly improves efficiency and sustainability. Episode four of What Matters, the podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. My name is David Weston, and as always, I'm joined by Michaela Hall from Agora Energy Vendor and Jan Rosenau of the Regulatory Assistance Project. Hi, guys. How are you? It's been another busy week in the world of energy.
1: Well, I'm doing well. I know that Michaela is is uh, not feeling so well today because she's suffering from a cold, um, but I'm doing very well. I had a very good week. I was in Brussels for our first team meeting in two years with my whole team of 20 people. We all met and um, assembled in Brussels. So that was good fun. And we talked about all things energy. So um, a very good uh, backdrop for this
2: podcast. So Jan is prepared. Well, Michaela has a cold, but she can still speak. Yeah, it has been a busy week. Um, And next time, Jan, if you're in Brussels, then we meet.
1: Well, we should. Um, And we can talk about where you can get the best Belgian beers uh, separately. I'm in constant fights with my Belgian colleague. who always tells me all the beers I like, they're all tourist beers. Um, So I'd like to discover the real ones next time, Michaela.
2: (laughs) I'll help you becoming cool. (laughs)
1: That
0: sounds good. We'll uh, we'll have to do a a podcast trip to Brussels and try some beers. Um, This week, we're taking a close look at Germany's climate and energy plans with the new traffic light coalition, putting the climate agenda at the core of the cross-party agreement. What will be Germany's role in the energy transition? And after 16 years of Angela Merkel, will the new government's plans reinvigorate Germany's quest to become a net zero economy by 2045? And can the country lead from the front on an international stage as recent geopolitical issues raise the question of energy security once again? This week, we are delighted to be joined by Claudia Kemmerfort, a professor of energy economics and energy policy at the German Institute for Economic Research and Lufana University. Hi, Claudia. Thanks so much for joining What Matters.
3: Hi, and thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm, I'm happy to be part of it.
0: Thanks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, before we get started on the new coalition government, as an observer and a commentator on Germany's energy transition for many years, how well do you think Germany's doing overall? And, and what is Angela Merkel's legacy on the energy transition?
3: Yeah, well, uh, Germany got off to a very good start, I think, 20 years ago with the promotion of renewable energies. So this has massively reduced also the the global cost for renewable energies and, and Germany. In Germany, also, it has the, the share of renewable energy has been increased from almost zero to almost 50% now of, uh, of electricity production. In transport, it's approximately eight, and in buildings, it's, it's 15% in this period of, of 20 years. This is, I would say, an enormous success. But at the same time, the decision was also made to phase out nuclear energy. And now the remaining uh, three nuclear power plants will be taken off the grid uh, by end of, uh, end of uh, next year. So, um, it was very difficult at, at that time, I would say, to reduce the share of coal. It should have been actually the other way around. Renewable energies should have been expanded even faster. And the share of coal fired power plant should have been reduced. But today I would say, um, we do a similar mistake again. This is now we want to, um, have large scale investments uh, in natural fossil natural gas plants, which are not compatible with the climate goals. Uh, We have a discussion right now also with the Ukraine crisis and this uh, North Stream uh, 2 pipeline and so on. So I would say, surprisingly, Angela Merkel's legacy is is the nuclear phase out, even though it, um, it was negotiated and decided in 2002 When she was not a chancellor and not in 2011. Um, well, she also celebrated internationally, I would say, as a, as a climate chancellor. And she certainly has a number of successes to her name. But I would say in the last 10 years in particular, she has been very lax in her efforts to expand. Renewable energy. So although she's not a climate chancellor, I would not say she's a climate chancellor. She was a very, she was a very good environment minister and did everything she could do also to ensure that the energy transition could have moved forward, not to be completely blocked. But however, we could have been much far than we are doing right now. So now we see the world also moving towards more renewable energy and the end of fossil area is inevitable, I would say. But now Germany needs to move up uh, faster and needs wants to speed up also and wants to to increase uh, the share of renewable energy much faster.
1: Claudia, can I ask a follow up question? Um, sure. As someone, as a, as a, as a born German um, but emigrated uh, to the UK, I, I constantly get these sort of stories uh, in the Twitter sphere or also in, in sort of discussions at conferences that the German energy vendor has failed. Look at how much coal Germany still has. And then people have these graphs showing that in even in primary energy terms, it's 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 even worse. Uh, the share of renewables is even lower. You know, what's what's your response to people who would say, you know, the the, the phase out of nuclear energy in Germany um, you know, was a mistake. It led to a prolongation of using lignite and and hard coal plants for generating electricity. What, what's your respan- response to arguments like that?
3: Well, I would not say that the energy transition is a failure because um, the steep increase of renewable energies is a much success and also the cost reduction we are seeing on a world scale. I think this is a big success of the energy transition of, of Germany. On the other hand, we could have been much better, especially with the increase of share of renewable energies also in the last 10 years. So the share should not be by 50% right now, but by 80. It could have been that way. But however, um, as you're saying, I mean, we, we stick to nuclear and we stick also to, to coal, but uh, the phase out of, of uh, nuclear has been established and negotiated and it will be done now. But uh, the, the phase out of coal was very complicated and difficult. And I would not say it's a failure. However, we could have. Done much more better. We, we should have increased the share of renewable energies much faster than we did, and we had a lot of lobby influences uh, in the past, especially from the coal lobby. Uh, this is very strong in Germany, and this is why Germany and Germany, also the politicians and, and Chancellor Angela Merkel, really did not uh, succeed in phasing coal earlier. But I would not call it a failure. Um, it has it had a good start, but it could have been better.
2: I think we, in Germany that might have been the, the most expensive way to transit out in a way. You know, I think at least that's how one could observe it. So we started with, with you know, renewables at the beginning when they were still expensive. We did help bring costs down with that. Then, as you just said, this coal exit, which was politically extremely difficult, did, but in the end uh, the market would have done it uh, a few years later for free. Um, and now that you just said these investments for in gas capacity to you know to for for a few transitional years that are needed uh, as a backup, but will basically only run for a few years uh, in a in a decarbonized uh, power sector by 2035. Um, so in a way, all of it together, I think uh, um, if we make it, it was probably not the the most cost effective way.
3: In well, yeah, that. yeah, yeah I mean I, I agree that we did a lot, and Germans paid a lot also at the very beginning to get the cost for renewable energies down, and I think that's our way of uh, of also paying the price also for the for the world because uh, the costs went down uh, steeply because of economies of scale, technological progress, I think that's that's really good. But uh, I would agree that we could have done much better, uh, not only cost-efficient, but also from the transaction costs that we have, but the coal lobby was very strong. And uh, we have still coal miners, workers, and all in in all countries all over the world, when you have that, it's very difficult to phase out coal. Look at Australia, U.S., everywhere the same discussions. And so the structural Change Committee, which we had um, provided, Financial support for the most affected regions, uh, coal regions in Germany. I think it's it's expensive. That's true. On the other hand, it brings also social peace at a certain point in time. And um, to get to get it um, to get it in a way done that uh, everybody could also support it. That's really difficult. It's it's a more so, so sociological. Do you say sociological uh, uh, thing than than an economic thing? But uh, from the economics, pure economics point of view, it could have been much less costly. I agree.
1: And Claudia, um, one thing that I always wonder is why has there been so much opposition uh, to doing this? You know, I, I saw uh, an advert in the early '90s by the German utilities where they claim something like maximum of four or five percent of total electricity generation could come. From renewables. I think you said yourself it's now around half of all generation. Um, so clearly you know, those arguments uh, were um, misplaced, ill-informed um, and misguided. Uh, but we, what, what is sort of driving that opposition um, to what you said we need is, is a faster deployment of renewables?
3: Well, it's a good example, actually, because uh, it shows uh, the arguments of the lobbyists of the past. I mean, they want to continue their business models of uh, fossil fuels in that way, coal and uh, nuclear and uh, natural gas. But not to, to change. And this is why they just said, I mean, it could not be more than 5% or 4 to 5%. It was just a lie. I mean, (laughs) everybody knows that this is wrong. Uh, And, but it drives the public debate. And this is the main reason behind it to, to get, um, to, um, to spread doubts. And this is emergence of doubts that we see everywhere. When you want to change, there is a PR. There are PR campaigns and say, well, that's not true. It could not happen. It's too so costly. It could not be, um, finished. And now we have other words for it. It's not that they deny that there could be more than 5% because we have 50% of electricity production in the, in the, Uh, electricity system, but now it's more called that there's too much flexibility, Uh, the fear of blackouts uh, is raised, the cost arguments, dunkelflaute, so what's happening if the wind is not blowing, what's happening if the sun is not shining. So the arguments pop up uh, whenever you have one argument, the next pop ups. And it's always to, to spread doubts. And it's good to have a discussion. But um, to me, I see also now observing since uh, observing uh, this whole debate since over 20 years now, it's always coming when you want to change, and this pop ups really. Um, also aggressively, if we want to, to change the system. And this is simply like that. On the other hand, so we need discussions, but you never discuss about the chances and also what do we need to have a full supply of renewable energies. You never can do that because you always are stuck. In, in the uh, the myth uh, debate uh, that blackouts costs and everything is is um, is happening, and you cannot really discuss about the future. But that's, uh, to my opinion, it's it's a purpose. It's it's done by purpose, and this is simply a clever a clever BR strategy. Um, but however, we we are still ongoing, and now because of the cost decline of renewables, uh, we will continue.
2: Maybe uh, Claudia, um, I think um, an actually quite important announcement of the new government, in, the, in exactly in this context, was the to increase massively the renewables target to eighty percent by twenty thirty, which was even higher than in Agora Energiewende's at zero modelling. I think it's it's massive, and this in connection, you know, with this. Uh, revision of, of the electricity demand scenarios, which were always very low in the past. And there has been acknowledgement that this has to change. Do you think this can allow uh, this discussion to finally move away from, as you say, the old myth and really look at, you know, the future?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, Michaela, I would I would hope so because I think um, now with the new government there is a new spirit, there are new um, ideas into it. It's more innovative, it's more modern, mo- modern, and it's also more realistic and pragmatic. And um, everything you said is is really important because, um, on the one hand, we need a more realistic assessment of what is the future demand of electricity, and also. What can, I mean, what is the share of electricity production and how, how do we get that? And how do we increase the share of wind energy and solar? What kind of framework do we need for this? And now the devils come into, into detail. I mean, now we're discussing more. What do we do? What do, what needs to be done? But in the last 10 years, there's not, has not been any kind of discussion like this. Only myths and only, um, also, uh, like of of block uh, the block uh, the the um, the progress in a, in a certain way, and and stop uh, the energy transition at least the speed of the energy transition. I would hope yes that now with the new government um, there will be new progress and um, we will be able to discuss about the future electricity and energy system, yes.
1: I, I would like to come back to a term you mentioned, Claudia. Um, you mentioned the kalte dunkelflaute, which is a term that actually made it into the English language that is used by energy experts uh, Really, uh, um, in, in English all the time now. I mean, there is an English word, I think it's called the dark uh, or cold doldrums, I think is, is, okay. is, is the equivalent. But it's, the kalte dunkelflaute term is very well known now in in the English-speaking world as well. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the question I want to put to you is: is this? Um, yeah, you, know, you already demonstrated that we have been able to uh, you know, accelerate the deployment of renewables faster than people have said we could before. But the argument that is now being made is: well, yeah, you know, if even if we had 100% renewables, what about those periods when you know, the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? How how do we deal? With the kalte dunkelflauter, mm. what do we actually do to have a hundred percent zero emissions power system uh, that does no longer rely on fossil fuel generation?
3: Yeah, now that's a good point because at that uh, point uh, we we, uh, we are discussing about the future system as we just said we need to discuss, and um, but this this term kalte dunkelflauter is coming from PR campaigns to to spread doubts. And uh, this is why I don't like this term. But it does not mean that I don't like the discussion of what about the flexibility of the future energy system, because indeed we need a different system than we have right now. In the past, we had uh, this power plant, uh, which is very much top-down oriented, and uh, the the grid, which is oriented to, to this. To this, um, to this power plant uh, production, energy production, electricity production, and it's spread to the, to the individual consumers. But in the future, it's more bottom up. It's more decentralized. You have different kind of components, solar, wind, biomass, hydro. And you need more storage in the future as well. And this flexibility system means that demand-side management, means smart grids, means also digitalization, means intelligent energy and load management, which is very, very different from the system of the past. And this makes it um, difficult also for the discussions and also for For those who want to discuss about the future options that this uh, also from the point of education point of view when and when you study energy economics um, you always get learned and teach how a power plant works and how this top-down approach is working but not how the flexibility options are working so we need also progress there in order to get a better discussion of how the system looks like what do we need and there are many studies we are doing some others are doing as well we do also simulations with uh, models uh, where we model the full electricity market and whole europe and look at that what's happening what what do we need where how does the grid be look like how uh, what kind of smart grids what kind of flexibility options do we wear and and when and then we have this period of where not a lot of wind is blowing and not a lot of sun is shining. That is usually January, the second two weeks of January. We did also studies and simulations to that. And if we are well connected also in Europe, uh, we always find, uh, find the places where we can put uh, windmills and, and connect it also to the system. But the true answer is that we have to get all the flexibility options into it including storage and including all the other options that we need in order to get a stable a stable electricity system.
0: Claudia, that's uh, absolutely really interesting. I was wondering what your thoughts are on sort of the interconnectivity rate of Germany. Um, you know, it's got a few interconnections between uh, some of its neighbors, but it's probably quite small uh, for the size of Germany and the size of uh, Germany's uh, power capacity. Is there a way we can improve that as a, as a flexibility option?
3: Well yes um we have interconnections it's, it could always be improved i mean right now we have uh, also a direct grid also to norway which is which is important uh, to other countries as well so i mean germany is in the middle of europe we are all connected to all individual countries and um it could always be improved of course but um we need both we need also the interconnections between the individual countries but um, this is what I wanted to say and explain is that the future system is more decentralized and more, more fragmented and also more, um, on, on the sizes. It's, it's more uh, smaller components which all need to be connected. And this is, what i would I think uh, a smart grid a decentralized smart grid the digitalization is is even more important including also in the midterm um, storage options also on a decentralized level like batteries um, but also a pumped hydro storage and uh, in the future also green hydrogen so there come uh, different components into it and um, the interconnections is i would say one of it but not the main driver
0: Uh, Absolutely. That's really interesting. Uh, Where do you see uh, Germany on the international stage then? Uh, We've discussed sort of its long phase out of coal and uh, the more quicker phase out of nuclear. Um, Has that sort of undermined Germany's climate leadership at all? Uh, And um, where do you see Germany's climate leadership position in Europe as a whole, especially ahead of its G7 presidency as well?
3: Well, yeah, I, I think it's um, Germany's image is still uh, in the world as the number one climate protector, but uh, this is obviously not the case. I mean, Germany, as we just discussed, is not too bad, but it could have been much faster also in a, a expanding renewable energy. And um, as we also have said, the unnecessary long adherence also to nuclear and coal has delayed um, the full energy transition uh, in, in total, and as we already said, it's very—it uh, has it made very expensive, and I would say it also has diminished Germany's credibility in the world in terms of uh, of climate uh, protection. However, I think there is still, I mean, with the new government, I see still room for maneuver, especially now with the G7 and also the the leadership role because Germany wants to to get on board and they are talking about such kind of climate club um, and they call it a climate club, uh, looking for also um, getting different countries on board and um, define Emission reduction goals and have a, such kind of club and and um, also reduce emissions and I think there's a, there's a big chance that Germany could uh, get back this climate leadership position um, and but it hasn't done doesn't have it now but now with the new government I think um, there might be there might be a chance um, that this comes uh, back yeah I would say yes
2: despite north stream 2 at the moment
3: well that's uh that's a, that's a good point <laughs> i mean <laughs> um north stream 2 is a, is a, is a big mistake i mean we did uh, so many studies on it on the whole gas market and never explained that we don't need a new pipeline we didn't have needed the, the first pipeline either because we should have done more to to diversify the gas imports and not too um dependent on on russian gas imports um, so this, I would say the credibility is, um, is quite low on, on this, uh, with the North Stream. Pipeline less related to climate policy, I would say, but more also the geopolitical aspect uh, makes it really worse. I mean, we are losing credibility on a on a global scale um, because uh, we are we are in the wrong on the wrong way on the wrong direction. Especially we have the strong connections to to Russian leadership and Russian um, politicians as well. And more and more is also coming out in, in the public and, and showing that obviously also the Social Democrats have have a problem here in um, being too uh, dependent on, on um, connections and old connections uh, to, to Russia. And that all drives uh, the decisions has been made also to, to natural gas and pipelines. And um, I would say... Uh, we are losing credibility, um but uh, we want to get it back and especially related to to climate policy, I would say if we now uh, stick to our plans to increase the share of renewables by eighty percent in the next ten years, the credibility is back and if we are also able to to get uh, this climate club on uh, ongoing, there might be also increased credibility however we have don't have to underestimate this this whole situation has um it has some intentions and uh, russia is doing um quite well in it also to um Undermine the democracy and also to to get um, to 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 divide the individual countries who want to join and do more climate protection and get away from fossil fuels and and this whole thing is so um, is so bad at the moment. I couldn't say how bad it is, and um, this all weakens uh, the climate policy efforts, and that might be one purpose out of many.
1: I have a question about Nord Stream two and. Uh, I think it relates to a broader point. When we look at at the amount of gas, uh, fossil gas, that's going to be needed um, in the energy system in 10, 15, 20 years' time, and then we look at how much more transmission capacity we're adding uh, to the system every year, and we're still building out the distribution grid, do you see a mismatch between what the climate scenarios and the different pathways Kind of tell us where we need to be with reducing gas use from fossil, your know, fossil gas use, um, and the amount of infrastructure that is still being installed, not just in Germany but all over Europe.
3: Yeah, yeah, I would say there's a great mismatch, and this um, brings a lot of stranded assets and stranded investments because if we take the Paris uh, climate goal seriously, the um, demand for natural gas need to be declined. Uh, drastically and should not be increased. And we have enough infrastructure, not only pipelines, but also LNG terminals in whole Europe that we can use in order to bring uh, natural gas uh, to, to that level that we re- need right now. But um, we need to increase the share of renewables. And that means. The share and also the demand for, for natural gas will decline. In Germany, we use natural gas in the, in the for the heating of buildings. And here we will do more to energy save or to, to improve the energy savings of the buildings. That is not going so fast, but uh, there will be more effort to do so. And on the other hand, in the, um, CHP, I mean, combined heat and power production also for the industry. And here we need to decarbonize as well and invest more into, for example, solar thermal, uh, energy or energy savings, energy efficiency improvements and all this. And this needs to happen and uh, needs to be um, implemented quite uh, soon and will also be implemented. And right now, I mean, there are two things happening. On the one hand, it's the geopolitical aspects out of this Russian-Ukraine crisis again, uh, which brings up high gas prices, and this might also... Wake, wake up! The last wake-up call also for Europe uh, to to get away from more natural gas or to at least uh, improve and uh, speed the energy transition process uh, faster. On the other hand, it brings also a lot of discussions related to climate policy efforts in general. And there are many countries in saying, well, right now because of this high fossil fuel prices, especially gas and oil. The costs for low-income household people are, are so high that we cannot afford to do more on climate policy. So, there's um, the, there's a huge discussion and I don't think, um, I, I'm not sure where we end with this. Right now, we are in the middle of it and this is not really a good, um, we, we do not get really good signals out of this crisis. Yeah, I mean, this discussion
1: is particularly prevalent in the UK, I think, where mm-hmm yeah there's there's been a, a I wouldn't call it a backlash but certainly parts of the media um, are continuously printing stories that are you know often misleading that contain basic factual errors but essentially attacking the uh, project of net zero or you know, reducing emissions and blaming mm-hmm. the higher gas prices and energy prices on renewables uh, arguing we haven't invested enough in domestic production before and of course, for the um, you know for the general public who may not necessarily understand uh, all the uh, you know, all, all the d- details of the energy transition, uh, and how it all works, um, you will know, we'll certainly buy into some of those arguments. So, is is there a similar discussion in, in Germany like we have in the UK of sort of increasing domestic production of? Um, uh, you know, g- fossil gas and, um, uh, and maybe even coal or is that, is that a discussion um, that, that is um, you know, is, is sort of more focused on doing less on renewables, uh, doing less uh, on some of the other technologies that would help drive down emissions.
3: Well yes on the one hand we have such kind of discussions and some media are pushing it and saying well it's the climate policy which drives the cost now at a very high level which is simply wrong we don't have a green inflation we have a fossil inflation um coming from very high oil and and gas prices and not vice versa but um of course i mean in germany we have more debate also on on the other side and saying um, there is the need for more renewables uh, quite fast because this brings the cost down and also because uh, now the people will have very high heating price costs um, to help those people and um, provide financial support by per capita, um, also reallocation of, for example, the CO2 uh, price, uh, incomes, revenues, or on the other hand, also to to provide more money to spend uh, for energy savings of of buildings and um yeah i mean there, there is a public debate and there is also a policy debate how to help um, not to to slow down the climate policy efforts but of course uh, as soon as the people um have the fear that they cannot afford it anymore the heating prices um, obviously, the energy transition is blamed, and the climate policy is blamed for it. But um, we have to make it clear and explain and impl- explain again: uh, this is a fossil inflation uh, coming from very high uh, fossil energy prices, and, and not coming from renewables. They actually drive down the electricity price at the stock exchange, and um, is, is also and an energy saving options uh, can also reduce the energy costs for for households. Um, and explain this again and again. But of course, uh, the um, conservative parties and also some media um, want to want to blame uh, the energy transition. And related to the um, exploration of fossil, we don't have, as in contrast to UK, uh, large amounts of of gas uh, which we could explore or oil. And uh, there's no discussion about that um, because we it's more discussion how to more import. Uh, from other nations like the US and uh, liquefied natural gas and so on. Um, but, um, unfortunately, not, uh, not in that uh, consequence that we really explain. We need more renewables and more energy saving to get the energy costs down. Um, and, um, it's very difficult also for, um, for us and the experts always to explain why it's not, uh, it's not the energy transition, which drives up the prices. Unfortunately, also a lot of economists in Germany um, believe it's uh, the energy transition, which brings up the prices. And this is simply wrong.
2: Yeah. Well, if I may come in here, I really, it's really important that we're winning this debate in Germany and all the other countries. It's obviously a debate also very prominent at the moment in Brussels. So that's uh, exactly the same. And I have to say, um, here I really appreciated the stance that the European Commission took. They were from the beginning very adamant in saying this is a fossil fuel. Price issue and not a renewables price issue and being very firm on it and, uh, in all their communication. So, but, uh, it, it's it, obviously there are these intents from some some parts to undermine. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I wonder how one can lead that debate in order to make this, so, which is so obvious for someone who is an energy expert, more clear. Um, I was struck by a figure that a, a colleague in one of our internal meetings brought up that basically he said uh, Germany gets 50% of its gas from Gazprom, you, you know. And so, uh, and yeah, is highly dependent on gas in general. And he did a quick calculation and basically said this recent uh, quadrupling of a gas price means that Germany at the moment pays per year 50 billion euros more. And these 15 billion euros more is exactly what we need to invest for the clean energy transition. It is a massive amount that is just being paid For this, you know, not even for more, it's just being paid now uh, in order to to, to pay our gas bills. It is massive. I mean, uh, you know, it's not an issue about some people cannot afford it. Even the country can actually not afford this and is very vulnerable at the moment. Uh, So uh, I don't know, maybe we need to use uh, other arguments here to, to win this battle.
3: Now you are completely right. I mean 15 uh, 50 billion is is really a large amount and we simply pay it to to Gazprom. I mean uh, the largest amount to Gazprom. And um, but we have now a big very important discussion in Germany about the reliability of Russia as a gas supplier because in the past it always been said, I mean they are reliable, they offer cheap gas prices and this is why we do all this and the people now see that's obviously not true. It's not only, I mean, Russia is delivering gas, yes, uh, what they are uh, promised and what uh, is in the contracts, but uh, they do not deliver and transport it through other pipelines uh, than North Stream and uh, do uh, transport less uh, through the other pipelines and also did not uh, fill up the uh, storage, gas storage in Germany to that larger extent that they did in the past. And this brings a lot of doubt. Uh, and I think a lot of people will feel fear what's going on also in the future. But, um, at the end of the day, I mean, these are private households and industry. Uh, we all pay for it. Every, every gas consumer are uh, lucky those who have changed already to energy saving and renewable energy and also in houses and industry. Solar thermal, for example, or energy saving. I mean, there are so many heat pumps, uh, options and so on, where you don't have this huge cost increase right now. But uh, 50% of the people in Germany, households uh, use natural gas. And um, all these arguments uh, always that has been said, well, we get cheap gas from gas, which helps us. uh, I think the people understand that this is not true anymore. And this would drive a discussion which could help as well in order to speed up the energy transition. But it could also be the other way around that the people feel, okay, the energy costs are too high. We cannot afford it anymore. Um, So it will be very difficult. It's really a difficult situation.
0: The What Matters podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy is sponsored by Siemens Smart Infrastructure. Siemens Smart Infrastructure is shaping the market for intelligent and adaptive infrastructure by connecting energy systems, buildings and industries. Combining the real and the digital world, it enhances the way people live and work and significantly improves efficiency and sustainability. What sort of uh, levers can the government um, uh, lean on to help uh, improve the switch to, say, electricity? Are there uh, taxes or, or higher taxes on gases, lower taxes on electricity? Can you split the um, the energy pricing, which is obviously often directed by the day ahead gas pricing, um, in a way that is maybe led by electricity instead? What sort of levers are there uh, available to the government to help help that switch?
3: Well, obviously, I mean, on the one hand, the financial support also to uh, save energy in houses. I mean, that's uh, 50% of the gas is consumed in uh, by heating of, of of buildings and here to help uh, and also to, to do more for energy saving and change to heat pumps and solar, thermal or PV, uh, whatever is, is feasible for the specific house. Um, would be um, an an option as well and uh, of course also what they do right now is to get the electricity prices a little bit lower with um, also paying the EEG um, fee that is a part of the electricity price which is uh, paid for the promotion of renewable energy by um, the public budget uh, and uh, by by taxpayers' uh, money, but not uh, over the electricity price, with the electricity price, in order to get the electricity prices down and then uh, get an incentive to... To use more eco electricity or this green electricity instead of, uh, of fossil energy, um, so the the um, tax incentives are important, or to get I mean, a reform of taxes and to increase uh, the CO two price as well. We have a CO two price right now, which is uh, has been increased, and it's uh, it has been a path decided already that the CO two price will increase as well but not to that large extent that would have been necessary on the other hand in Europe we have a very high CO2 price now with the ETS system for industry and an energy um, supplier although this leads more to more coal at the moment coal usage instead of gas because the gas price is too high so a lot of um, different components in order to switch away from um gas from natural gas uh, to uh, renewable energy to to more energy saving and what we also need is in the industry sector to decarbonize uh, incentives more energy saving uh, also to apply for example industrial heat pumps or solar thermal uh, or green hydrogen which needs to be produced and it's not um it's not produced yet Nowhere, and um, this is uh, this is a long, more, more mid to long term uh, strategy. But there are several aspects in here, and and several policy instruments right now in place in order to to change.
1: You, you mentioned hydrogen, there, uh, Claudia, which um, uh, you know we we ha- we discussed in previous episodes already. But um, it's I think it's it's an interesting topic um, also for for this one, um, also in the context of Nord Stream too. You know, I, I saw. I think a few months back, um, claims that, um, yes, Nord Stream 2 will transport fossil gas initially, but we're going to switch that uh, to uh, hydrogen in in the future. So uh, it's going to become a source of uh, affordable hydrogen uh, for Germany and other countries uh, in, in Europe um, so, what, what, how realistic do you think those kinds of claims um, are? And, and, and wouldn't it be easier just to get lots of hydrogen from Russia instead of, uh, you know, using uh, new technologies such as heat pumps and and using you know, electricity? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Well, two, two things related to this. this is, so the one is uh, technically, um, it's not that easy to, to use a pipeline, uh, just, um, which has been constructed for, net, for natural gas for, for hydrogen because of, uh, material, uh, which, I mean, might, might be okay with the new North Stream 2 pipeline with older pipelines. It might be more difficult. So you need to, to um also improve uh, the material uh, here but um, there's still ongoing research uh, related to to this this might be might be solved but that's not that easy so you have different infrastructure um, constraints here, not only in terms of the pipeline per se, but also the infrastructures who transport at the end the hydrogen to the, to the end user in, in Germany as well. Um, so it would be easier to have, um, to, to transport uh, power to gas or, I mean, the, this methanization of, gas and uh, however and this is my my second point you have to produce hydrogen and you are losing a lot of energy in this whole process you need three times more more uh, electricity to produce hydrogen you are losing it uh, when you when you are using it and when you also put co2 in into it like methanization uh, you are losing 80% of the whole energy uh, the electricity And hydrogen needs to be green. That means with uh, renewable energy produced. Otherwise, this shows a lot of studies show this you have more emissions than just using the the fossil energy itself. So you could use uh, natural gas if you produce. With natural gas, hydrogen, you need more energy, you're producing emissions as well, not only when you explore hydrogen, but uh, explore natural gas, but also to produce hydrogen. And then you need to store it somewhere, this is a blue hydrogen um, dream, um, where to, to store the CO2 and how to get it transported. So a lot of unsolved uh, issues here and might um, take 10 to, to 15 years to solve all this. In the meantime, we need to transform the energy system. And this is why it's not a solution right now. We could uh, invest into, into research into it, but also to, um, to find more ways in, in improving the infrastructure and and get uh, whatever is, is needed uh, for this whole procedure but it, it takes time and a lot of uh, money and this is it's not a it's not a um, really an alternative for a decentralized renewable energy system. it's one add-on but it's not uh, I mean that we can just can just use the natural gas pipelines. For hydrogen, simply because in in uh, Russia we don't have any renewable energy, and uh, if we want only and we recommend only to import green energy with this, uh, with really green, uh, with um, sustainable uh, renewable energy produced, uh, with should have been in the past also with certificate certified that uh, this is really green. And uh, Russia does not have it, um, and there's no renewables at all. You will produce with natural gas or nuclear or oil uh, or coal and that uh, hydrogen, which is really not uh, a way we should go. We should really go uh, to a zero emission uh, energy system, and we would not get it with uh, this kind of dreams. Uh, And this is why Germany gets also now uh, makes some uh, deals also with other countries which might have more renewables. In the past, in the future, um, as they have in the past, like uh, North Africa or also Australia, South America, uh, there are some connections ongoing right now where really green hydrogen is produced, and it should really be sustainable so otherwise we get more environmental and social problems and then without it and uh, this is why it will be very costly and um, very scarce and very rare and uh, this is I always call it the champagne of the energy carriers and this champagne is only for special moments and not for for the for the future to a large scale to use
2: your champagne quote is I think is really excellent I think it's really um, it opens the eyes of people I think that one yeah it's really a very very good way of putting it uh, that this is a niche application. Um, would you agree with me Claudio that, that uh, the new uh, Ample coalition, is a little bit ambiguous on what kind of hydrogen it would want to see. I mean, if you read the relevant parts of the coalition treaty, it's um, you could really see them struggling to put the text together. And it's, uh, yes, it should be green, but uh, maybe not always at the beginning. And uh, Mm. um, I had a feeling it was... At some point, say for example, the, around the time that these recovery plans were drafted and where Germany also put a lot of uh, hydrogen actions in it, clear uh, clearer that it is only one hundred percent green, and I don't mm. see that anymore in the same vigor in this coalition agreement. Would you agree? Yeah. And,
3: uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I I would agree, and um, uh, especially because right now they the industry makes a lot of pressure to the politicians that they want to get hydrogen quite soon for the steel production, for example. And um, we did a really in-depth analysis also for the advisory board, uh, a council um, for the environment in Germany, uh, which also explained that only green hydrogen is really the way we should should go. Otherwise, we get more environmental, social problems, more emissions at the end. But I would agree that um, this uh, term, like green hydrogen, should be the future is now in place. But they always say, well, in the meantime, it's just blue uh, or gray uh, or whatever um, because we don't have green ready. But uh, this, this is a really dangerous um, way, way of putting it because uh, right now we need to invest into renewables to a large scale and could also produce hydrogen to a small scale out of it, but not uh, just to start an infrastructure which is uh, bringing up the emissions to a larger extent and is not sustainable and not compatible to the to the emission goals um then uh, we, they uh, reach, they they want to achieve and this is why it's so it's so difficult but I would agree they um they are not quite clear on it and to be very clear they have to make <laughs> to make clear where is the hydrogen coming from, where it is produced and how it is produced and how much emissions are related to it.
2: and I think maybe also. Where it is going, because I think mm. the argument of the industry, they should have an interest in having a clearly defined green hydrogen as an input, because yeah. that's what they need to declare their products green. You know, you want mm. to say this car is green. So yeah. then, shouldn't the strategy of those actors be to insist we are the priority clients of this green hydrogen? It yeah. cannot go anywhere else uh, rather than say, we need all types of hydrogen.
3: No. No. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And I never understood why they argue in that way. They say, well, we need all hydrogen because you're right. I mean, now they have to make clear we are emission-free and they want to construct steel, which is emission-free. They cannot guarantee it with uh, with uh, blue or gray hydrogen um, or brown hydrogen. And um, this is why I, I'm really surprised that they are not using this argument and saying, well, we want to insist, and we need it. We need this green hydrogen uh, for us because this is what we recommended as well, put it to the industry and not to um, SUVs or a heating system because this is just waste, too costly, and the waste of this um, scarce and expensive hydrogen uh, which needs to be produced. Um, but um, we don't hear that. It's it's interesting, yes. But I would agree.
1: Michaela, you mentioned the, uh, the German a new german government that's just um, come in uh, at the uh, end of last year uh, and claudia you um, were i think at some point uh, suggested as a potential future minister um, for energy and climate matters uh, i think at state level in germany uh, so yeah, if if you were a part of government um, what would you say are the key priorities you know for for this government what do they need to get right so that in you know in 5 years time Um, we are actually um, seeing um, that we're making enough progress to meet the climate goals. um, And then at the next election, this government could say, look, we've done what we said we would, We've accelerated the transition. What what are the key levers that you think need to be uh, pulled to make this
3: happen? Yeah, I would say the key levers is the faster expansion of renewable energies. The faster we expand renewable energies, the faster we can do without coal and fossil natural gas and nuclear, of course. But we need a full supply of renewable energies. And uh, to achieve this, all renewable energies must be expanded throughout Germany, everywhere, in all uh, lender and all um, areas. Uh, we need more areas for wind energy. We need easier approval procedures. We need more financial participation, also for models for municipalities that they can also financially benefit. And, um, also for the citizens and the, the more renewable energies we have, the faster, the better the policy, um, is also getting all this, uh, all this done. And, um, right now, I mean, the current government now tries to, to speed up all this. And, um getting the turbo and the booster into it, but I would say this is really the most important thing is the expansion of renewable energies and get this get this done, and the second is energy saving of buildings and uh, which is really important uh, to to provide uh, more money. And also for the industry, that they get more uh, energy-efficient measures uh, and, and provide also financial support uh, for it. And for the transportation sector, we need a uh, load infrastructure, investments, uh, and also the promotion, more strength to strengthen also the railway system and um, the the public transportation system. This is also very, very important. And um, I would say these are the most three Things uh, which I would do and try to achieve fast.
1: Thanks, Claudia. So um, um, I'm sure the uh, uh, these points will be made to to government. You're very vocal commentator mm-hmm. in the German energy and climate policy debate. So um, hopefully uh, someone will listen and take on your advice.
3: <laughs> I hope so as well. <laughs> uh,
0: just finally, Claudia, before we get on to the last few bits, um, I just you mentioned uh, the the carbon pricing. Uh, and the the ETS and the role of that and the, the Germany's own carbon pricing. I wanted if you were you were able to put maybe a figure on sort of the the target carbon price. Uh, you said it's quite high in Europe at the moment. Is it high enough? Uh, and what sort of a level should uh, Europe be aiming for in Germany as well for the carbon pricing?
3: Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, there are several studies related to this, and we always uh, recommended to have a carbon floor pli- price of uh, 60 euro per ton of CO2. And, um, I mean, you have to distinguish because, uh, is it high enough? I mean, for, for the electricity sector, is high enough to phase out coal, uh, unless we don't have this very high gas prices, uh, which we have right now. But, um, for the heating sector and for the transport sector we would need much higher prices than that in order to get incentives uh, to to invest into alternatives so with this i mean right now with the fossil fuel oil price and gas price we have a much higher incentive right now for um house owners for uh, also car owners to change and to to move away from from fossil fuels and with the co2 price um, because here we know from the carbon abatement cost curves that uh, in the transportation sector, um, I mean, to get the right incentives is much, must be much higher. It's more related to to 180. 240 euro per tonne of CO2 because of the price elasticities we have there. And in the heating sector, um, it's not that large, but um, even much higher than we have right now. Um, but uh, politically, it's difficult always to get these high CO2 prices through. We already see that right now um, and saw it also in the discussions that um, 25 euro per tonne of CO2 was the initial price. In Germany, this has been... Established for the heating and transportation system was already a big, a big discussion related to this. This will increase now in the next years, up to a level of uh, 60 euros per ton of CO two, and that's the maximum we see. We see, we see um, that is politically really feasible.
2: But you would support then basically the Commission's proposal as part of its last package. You no, know, one of the most contentious part of it was actually replicating this in, for the EU and expand the ETS system to buildings and transport. Very hotly debated. Uh, There's a German rapporteur, Lise, on the file. Uh, But you would, you would support this extension then.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, this has been established and um, it, is, uh, it will come. So uh, we always recommend it to um, not only to rely on a CO2 price, but um, to have it as uh, one component uh, in it. It's yeah. not wrong to have it. But especially in the transportation sector, you need so many more uh, instruments like the bonus model system, CO2 targets, uh, the, this um, values which you need also for cars. Or also the standards. I mean, the standards you need for cars, and also the um, also um, the the promotion of the railway system, load infrastructure, um, and the tax reform. Also to to have the higher diesel taxes. So it, there are a lot of components related to to this, uh, but it's it's one component. I think it's 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 good to have it. That
2: well, makes sense. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Finally, then, uh, we ask all of our guests on What Matters uh, to look into their crystal ball. Uh, What does Germany's energy landscape uh, look like in 10 or 20 years' time, Claudia?
3: Yeah. um, Hopefully, the energy landscape in 10 or 20 years will be completely renewable, decentralized, participatory, also integrated, digital and emission-free. And in addition also to the production of electricity, and energy from renewable sources. This includes also um, the intelligent use of, of green electricity. And uh, green electricity is the new oil um, and this must be also used um, everywhere, as we already discussed, and not uh, wasted. And uh, we need also the energy transition um, that we just discussed is, uh, is full electric with heat pumps within buildings with electric mobility on road and rail, and also uh, we need all the solutions uh, surrounded uh, to that. And green hydrogen has to be produced in a, in a costly and energy-intensive way. It's, uh, uh, as we already say, it's um, costly and scarce and should only be used where there's no direct, direct electrical alternative. So hopefully in 20 to 20 years, the energy landscape will be completely electric, and that means uh, electric from renewable energies, decentralized, flexible, smart, and just.
0: Excellent. That sounds like an ideal scenario. Um, uh, Before we go this week then, I'm just going to quickly go around the table and and see uh, what caught my eye this week. Uh, Jan, was there anything that caught your eye this week?
1: Yeah, so um, one thing that caught my eye uh, was that National Grid, which is the system operator of the electricity system in the UK, um, launched a pilot scheme, a trial together with Octopus Energy. And actually Octopus, um, of course, their CEO was on a podcast um, in the last episode. Uh, and that trial scheme was uh, to incentivize consumers to shift electricity consumption. So use a bit less during peak hours and use a bit more outside of peak hours instead uh, which is a really good idea because it actually lowers the costs of electricity, not just for those people who participate, but for everybody. But the backlash against that was just phenomenal, and people were criticizing the scheme um, you know, publicly uh, for sort of state control and rationing of electricity. And it's it's it's, it's none of these things. It's a, it's a very innovative uh, new tool, and uh, it's just very exciting. And if you haven't heard about it, um, it's worth looking it up. And I think we can share the link uh, on the website.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll include a link here in the show notes uh, for this uh, podcast. Claudia, uh, what caught your eye this week?
3: Well, I found uh, interesting what I just saw um, the last days. I think it was uh, yeah the last days uh, that um, in Germany there has been um, now there will be a promotion system to support. Um, solar PV with agriculture. I don't know if there's an English word. Yeah. We have this agri agri agrivoltaics. Yeah. Agri photovoltaics, we call it agri photovoltaics in German, but I am not sure how you um if you have a similar word also in, in English or in other nations. Um, but I find I really like the idea that uh, you can combine uh, the different um, intentions you have on the agricultural part, and um, to to use also the landscape uh, for for agriculture, but also to combine it with the photovoltaic production, and also to um, take care of the environmental and climate targets uh, that are relevant because in Germany we have a big debate where to put a windmill, where to put a, put a solar PV and the agriculture part is even more complicated uh, uh, with it and also on a European uh, level because of this high subsidies and I, I like the idea to to get everything on uh, in total and um, promote it and and find ways in how to make it attractive not only in Germany because I think the potentials on a world scale are really huge and if we could make it to get the cost down it would also bring a lot of incentives to other nations.
0: That sounds uh, yeah absolutely fascinating. Michaela uh, what caught your eye this week?
3: Claudia yeah, I'm, I'm glad you bring up this achievable
2: tax mm. issue we digged into it as well and I think it has an amazing potential yeah yeah i uh, we looked at it in, for a few countries, actually in Europe, uh, how it would, uh, and I love it that Jan hasn't, hasn't, uh, is still in our last podcast with Greg Jackson. <laughs> um, okay. What, the, what caught my eye this week? As I said, I was a little bit not on full capacity, but what I saw something on Twitter that was, um, this week was the EU and the uh, US Energy Council. So the, Um, the EU flew to the other side of the Atlantic, uh, and then someone tweeted uh, two photos of the press corps, and it looked like in an old traditional church. And to the left-hand side, you had the U.S. press corps, full of women, not only black suits, colorful. On the right-hand side, you had the German press corps, only men. (laughs) Wow. Only men. It really looked like in a a church, you know? (laughs) And somehow it got me thinking... Mm. Maybe a little bit more diversity in the German press coverage. could Also bring a little bit more diversity in a way climate change is discussed in it. Because I have to say, especially in the run up to the elections, uh, I sometimes wondered how many times can you go on repeat about how much will all this cost? Who will all pay for this? And no fantasy about, you know, what are the chances that are in there? What are the benefits? Um, do we actually have an alternative? Um, yeah. Voila. So that caught my eye this week. Interesting. That's I true. will uh, yeah.
0: I'll just quickly uh, highlight a recent article on Foresight looking into the skills gap. Um, the, the the energy transition is facing and uh, the lack of uh, gender diversity uh, in in the industry as well and whether we can fill that skills gap uh, by em- employing more uh, women and women minority communities as well uh, and trying to make the industry much more attractive to those those people as well. Um, So that was uh, on Foresight a couple of weeks ago, a really interesting article there. Um, Just finally then, uh, what caught my eye this week was uh, the UK government announcement to shift uh, renewable auctions to annually, uh, having a a CFD auction every year rather than every two years, um, which I thought was um, quite bold and quite uh, progressive for this UK government. Um, uh, Hopefully it means uh, a more rapid uh, rollout of renewables, but of course, we still hit um, barriers uh, of over permitting and transmission capacity and things like that. So, hopefully, they figure that out as well. Um, sadly, that's all we have time for today. My thanks to Claudia. Claudia, if uh, our listeners want to hear more from you, you have your own podcast, is that right?
3: Yeah, I have my own uh, podcast, but this is in German. It's called uh, Kempfers Klima Podcast. Um for, for those who, who understand German, I'm really, I would be pleased if you could listen.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we can put a link to that as well. Uh, my thanks as well to Jan and Michaela. If you have any thoughts or questions about anything we have said on today's podcast or, or ideas for future episodes, you can reach out to us on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Dave underscore Foresight. Claudia? At C. Kemford. Uh, Michaela?
2: At CitizenSane1.
0: And Jan?
1: Uh, at Jan Rosenau.
0: Excellent. Uh, you can also tweet the show at What Matters Pod uh, and email us uh, at show at whatmatterspodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all again very soon. Bye.